Hey, it is so good to be with you today. My wife, uh, Kim, and I, we were so blessed to be with you. I'll tell you what, it's always like coming home when we're at Faith Builders. So uh, we're excited about what God is doing. I'm really excited about this morning. Uh, But before I get into the message today, um, we just want to thank your pastors, Jeff and Robin, for all of their service. I mean, they are faithful, 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 faithful in every capacity, and they've been dear friends to us. Uh, Serving on our board is invaluable. I can't tell you the counsel and the wisdom that we receive, and we appreciate that. Uh, For many of you, uh, you have chosen to be a part of our missions program, and as a church, I want to just bring you up to date on what's happening. Right now in Destiny, we are overseeing about 3,400 churches worldwide on four continents, And excited about what God is doing. There is revival that is taking place around the world. And I'll tell you, the the continent of Africa is absolutely exploding. And we're seeing uh, miracles. We're watching God do tremendous things in one week. In fact, Kim and I leave a week from tomorrow for South Africa. We're doing a shepherd's conference there where we have uh, nearly 2,500 pastors registered right now to be in attendance for that meeting. With uh, video and everything, we'll be reaching over 100,000 people every night. And I want you to know that you are a part of that. So I want to thank you so much for all that you do. And never think for one moment that your dollar doesn't matter. Let me put it into perspective for you. Right now on the continent of Africa, we're able to get the gospel to somebody for about a nickel. I want you to think about that. Five cents puts the word of God into somebody's home. And I don't know, in all my years of ministry, I've been pastoring over 40 years. I have never seen the type of things that I'm seeing right now. And I want you to know that never underestimate the power of what you do. One dollar, you're reaching 20 families. And that's amazing. So thank you again for your faithful support. For those of you that have been involved in India, and I know that's the predominant uh, uh, area, things are taking off in India. Uh, We have planted several new churches. We're looking to build a Bible college in the region of Bimtal. Pastors Vimal and Ronnie Sin are our overseers on the Asian continent, and we're so thrilled to have them there. But I'll tell you, God is moving so fast, it kind of caught me off guard. And so we have been making plans now so that I'm not caught off guard again. We've just appointed uh, about a month ago our overseers for the continent of Europe in Pastors Tony and Carol Higginson from... Uh, the Dream Center in Manchester, England. They're heading up uh, that area. We have uh, Victory God's Power, who's heading up now the continent of Africa. Uh, He and his wife, Louisa, and we're so excited to have them on board. And we have just finalized our overseers for the North American continent from Central America all the way to the pole. And I'd like to introduce you For the first time to our North American overseers, Pastors Robin and Jeff Pruitt. Amen. Amen. You can stand to your feet. That's all right. You know how good they are, and now the rest of North America gets to know how good they are. So we trust and believe in them so much, and we want to thank them uh, for this opportunity we have just to uh, minister together, and uh, we're excited about what God is going to be doing in this year. So thank you, Faith Builders. I can't say enough thank yous, thank you, thank you, because when I'm here to say thank you, I'm seeing all of the faces that you've touched, and without you... That would not have been possible. So thank you for your faithfulness in every way. Well, are you ready to get into the word today? I want to speak today on one of my favorite topics, and it's developing mindsets for kingdom wealth. Uh, Take out your Bibles if you have them. 
Why don't you stand up with me? Get your Bible in your hand or your digital Bible or your phone with your Bible, whatever it is, and just kind of shake it around for a moment. Get the devil really nervous. See, the, he doesn't want a believer that has the word on the inside of them. That just bugs him to no end. To think that people would actually follow God's word is something else. But let's go to 3 John 2. 3 John 2, I'm reading out of the King James here. It says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Then just down a couple verses, verse four, I have no greater joy than this, that I hear my children are walking in the truth. And then in Psalm 35, verse 27, it says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually. How often? Continually. continually let the Lord be magnified which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Father, we thank you for your word today. We lift up this house in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence, for all that you are going to do in this place. We love you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, as we get going today, as I mentioned, this is one of my most favorite topics. And we're going to embark on a journey together that I promise is going to be challenging and rewarding in your daily lives. This is a day that many of you are going to point back to remembering the decisions that you made in this day and the impact that it had on your life. You see, the most important decision one can ever make in their lives is to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. There's no other important decision that one can make. Being reconciled to the God of the universe and allowing him to be the Lord of our lives. You see, when a person makes Jesus Christ the Lord of their life, they, they realize their need for him. And no matter what we do on this planet, our goal is still bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every time we reach out, it's so that somebody else might come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You might be here today and you would say, oh, I'm a visitor and I came, what are they going to talk about? Money. All they ever talk about in church is money. No, that's not true. We're going to give you life keys, goals, principles, and everything else. But I want you to know this, that when you're faithful with God in every area, it's rewarding. Amen? So this is a special weekend because not only are we going to talk about foundations this morning, but we're going to have some practical aspects tonight at 6 o'clock that you'll want to be here for. See, making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life doesn't mean you're never going to have problems in life again. It doesn't mean that life is now rainbows and unicorns and everything's sweet and everything's going to be smooth. And anybody that would tell you that doesn't know the word. Because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The only difference is we know where the umbrella is. Okay? So don't worry about the rain. Don't worry about the storm. Don't worry about the wind. God's bigger than all of that. You see, once you're born again, you walk with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And knowing that no matter what you go through, you can't escape him. King David in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, there you are. And if I make my bed in Sheol, look, you are there. Isn't that something? I mean, once you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you have got a journey that you're on. But did you know that the second most talked about topic in the Bible is money and wealth? See, we, we cover all kinds of topics. Healing, blind eyes open, the dead being raised to life. And we've seen all of that in our ministry. But yet one of the greatest miracles that I believe can take place is when a new believer begins, or any believer begins, to renew their mind to the word of God so they are no longer babes in Christ, but we're growing up into full maturity where we become a threat 
to the devil. Over 2,400 references to wealth and money. Think about it. I can say it like this. The most important decision you will ever make in your life is making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. But if we were just to go on the preponderance of the evidence, the second most important thing that you could do, decision you could make, is getting your life in order and especially in the financial realm. If I were to pull this room right now, and go around and say, how many of you have money concerns on a regular basis? Hands would fly up. I'm not asking you to do it, but I know. I've been a financial professional for over 16 years. I've dealt in the church world. I've dealt in the secular world. And I don't care who you are. With the wrong mindsets, you have wrong money habits and practices. And they're there to destroy you. And we're going to put some of those rumors to bed tonight. But for right now, I want to go on with setting a foundation. Whether it's the new birth or finance, there's more than making good decisions. What do I mean by that? We're in a battle, and there's an enemy of our soul that wants you to question your salvation and cause you to fail in finance. He knows that a committed heart cannot be stopped when backed by the power of the cross. And I believe that's why the Apostle John, in writing to Gaius, whom he called the Beloved, said, I wish above all things. Everybody say that with me. I wish above all things. Say it again. I wish above all things. Now let's say it like we believe it. I wish above all things. Now why would an apostle say above everything else, here's what I wish for you. I wish that you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Well, let me ask you a question. If I were to stand up here on this platform and say, Liz, you know, people come forward for prayer, they need healing. We just prayed for healing. And I said, well, we're not going to pray today because I believe it's God's will for them to be sick for a while. What would you do? I know what Pastor Jeff would do. He'd come up, he'd just grab me and haul me off the platform. Because we know that's not God, Right? We know that's not God. We know God wants them whole, well, and healed. But why is it when we come to the topic of money or finance, we go perpendicular and think that God's leading us into poverty for some stupid reason? That'd be like God leading you into sickness for some stupid reason. It's part of the same sacrifice at the cross. It's part of the same shed blood of Jesus at the cross. You can go back to Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 and you can see it. It's the sacrifice that Jesus made so we could have an abundant life. The CSB reads like this. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. The Amplified Bible says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health physically just as I know your soul prospers spiritually. Now, couldn't we say it's pretty obvious God wants us to prosper? And there's hundreds of other texts. But have you ever wondered why people feel so uncomfortable when you talk about money? Let me tell you why. It's simple. It's because it's something we can see every day. When we say that you're born again on your way to heaven, you don't see that every day. You've received it by faith. But every day you're looking at your wallet. Every day you're looking at your checkbook. Every day that bill comes in. Every day you're thinking about how am I going to make the rent payment. Every day. It's on your mind every day. Money is either working for you or against you. So how do we deal with these things? I think the reason many people get uncomfortable when we talk about money in church is because we put the action ahead of the foundation. We talk about tithes, we talk about offerings, we talk about alms, we talk about all different types of giving, and that's an action. But we haven't set the foundation. And so today, I'm not going to talk to you about tithing or offerings or alms. I'm going to talk about the foundation. So let's first define true wealth. The kind of wealth that magnifies the king, allowing him to take pleasure in his people. So let me give you my definition. 
true wealth is the ability, resources, strength, and wisdom to use God's ability to meet the needs of others, creating positive outcomes in the midst of lack, poverty, and or emptiness. See, wealth goes beyond money. Wealth is a lifestyle that puts others before self. Chris Vallotton defines wealth as this. It's radical generosity, extraordinary compassion, sacrificial giving, and profound humility. You see, true wealth finds its foundation in love. Caring about others before self. Always looking for the kingdom purpose before self-gratification. Man, I like that. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Let me put it like this. When you chase after the things, you've limited yourself to what you can obtain. But when you allow God to add to your life, it's unlimited. Ephesians 3.20 goes into effect. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or think. Now, when you think about what you're able to obtain, think about what God would be able to obtain if we had the right priorities in our life. See, a good foundational scripture for wealth is found in John 3.16. It's for God so loved the world so that he gave his one and only son in order that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What was the foundation? Love. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? I could have all these gifts and all this other stuff, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Love is the foundation for your wealth. How you treated that neighbor, how you treated that church member, how you treated that person, love. We wonder why sometimes our finances aren't working. I might challenge our lifestyle and say, we need to love. Start showing love one to another and watch what God's able to do. Hey, that's a person I can trust to love even when they don't want to. That's a person I was going to reach out and they're going to bless somebody even when it might be sacrificial on their part. But that shows me I can trust them because they put somebody else first. It says God loved the world. It wasn't a physical earth. It was the people. And our love is focused on people. Then it says, so he gave his one and only. Now that's the action. Giving is the action. Love motivates us to give. You know, when it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, that word in the Greek literally means he could not take another step without correcting that situation. Moved with compassion. That's that love that God has for us. He was so moved, he could not go on unless he sent his only begotten son to die for us. Oh, God of the universe. Love me so much that he gave. And you know what? He gave his very best and he gave what was irreplaceable. You talk about a God of faith. Jesus had to come in human form, shed himself of the divinity so that he could prove God's love and shed his own blood. That's faith. What if he'd have blown it? God gave his very best and irreplaceable. And Jesus gave us his very best. Then it says the result of that is so that those of us that believe would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know about anybody else, but I still get excited about the new birth. I still get excited every time somebody makes Jesus Lord of their life. I still get excited when I see people raising their hands saying, I need, I need him. Because I know they're about ready to embark on this journey that is going to give them a new outlook on life. But I also know this, that often we need to dispel the wrong thinking, which leads to wrong outcomes. And how do we do that? By renewing our minds to truth. Remember what the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in 
truth. There's a lot of teaching, a lot of philosophies and ideas by which we can adapt to our own lives. But listen, change just for change's sake is not productive. We have to change towards the things that make a difference, and that comes by truth. My wife and I, we got back to our hotel room last night, and we turned on uh, the TV, and this commercial about finance pops up. And this gal says, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where to go. I was broke. I had no money. And now four years later, I'm going to retire. Rubbish. If you believe that nonsense, you deserve that company. Right? So just changing to change isn't it. But many of us through our lifetimes, through our experiences, through our background, through our pedigree, through our families, we've been fed wrong information. Well, you're never going to amount more than this. You're always going to be looked at like this. People will always think about you like this. Who said that? God didn't. God didn't say that. God has something different for us. I would put it like this. You've got to beware of a half truth. You might have the wrong half. That half that you have might be a lie that's kept you in bondage, that's kept you down, that's kept you defeated. And I want to dispel that today because there's one thing that we need to do and that's concern ourselves with truth. Jesus in John 14, 6 said this, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's who I am. So if we want to line up to truth, then we have to line up to Jesus. If we're going to make Jesus Christ the Lord of our life and say that we're going to follow him, then let's follow him even if it's uncomfortable to our natural reactions. In our world today, they are trying harder than ever to divide people than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Based on economic status, based on racial status, based on geographic status. And it breaks my heart Because God doesn't see any of you with the lens of a political filter. So I have to come back to truth and tell you it doesn't matter what arena you're in. God loves you. He cares about you. He came to give you an abundant life. He didn't come for this person to have abundance and that person to be in poverty. His blood is worth more than that for those words to even come out of my mouth. John 1.1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. (laughs) Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Yahweh, your Word is settled in heaven forever. If there is one thing that's been settled, it's right here. It's been settled. I've been around long enough to say that what we see outwardly, give it a couple years, it'll change. Give it a few more years, it'll change again. Opinions will change. Personalities will change. Opinions will change. All of that changes. How can we base our life or our stand or where we're headed on something that is so changing as the wind? It's, as Jesus put it, shifting sand. Anybody that builds their house on sand, it's going to fall when the storm comes. You know, those of you that grew up in church, you learned that story in children's church, right? You got to build your house on the rock, not on the sand. And Jesus is that rock. The apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church and declared, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what the Apostle Paul says is, I beseech you therefore, brethren, for those of you King James folks, by the mercies of God, that word mercies, oiktirmas in the Greek means, God feels sorry for you when you don't renew your mind. Why? Because he knows that the word is what's going to save you. It's the word of God that's going to make a difference in your life. This doesn't change. Paul said, I beg you, I beg you, renew your mind to that which does not change. That pertains to every area of our life, including finance. But in 2 Corinthians, and I want you to catch this, we're going to find out in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the church at Corinth writes, and he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. We can put it like this, stop thinking like everybody else. If you're going to fight the battle like everybody else, you will lose like everybody else. We don't fight that way. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Now hear me. I've been a financial professional for years, but if you go to a financial professional and tell them that you're going to tithe and give offerings, what do you think they're going to say? Come on now. If you're going to believe their opinion, what makes you think if they're wrong about the foundation, they're going to be right about the rest? I'm just asking. For those of you that may know, I'm also a psychologist. Psychologists, you don't go in to be that for most of the time so you can get people well. You do that so you can obtain clients. Ouch! I'll never forget when I was in school, I was in grad school and they called me Sergeant Fix-It-All. I was already in ministry. I said, why, why are you telling them what to do? And I said, because I have the answer. They came to me for counsel. You want to find out if they were potty trained right. I don't care. I know what your problem is. One, you need Jesus. Two, you need to get into the word. Three, you need to do this. And I did my internship at the veterans, at the VA hospital. My clients predominantly at that time were Vietnam veterans. I had the highest, what they called highest cure rate in the nation. Why? Because I didn't do it their way. I'm telling you. And I know sometimes it's hard when we hear these things. But the one thing that will make a difference in your life is the word of God. For we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. What's a lofty opinion? That's one that thinks it knows more than you do, so you better listen to mine. Lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, if I just stood up here and talked to you, it'd be an opinion. But I appeal to you by the word of God, which doesn't change. Therefore, it's no longer an opinion of mine, but the word of God that's coming to you. You've got to be ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Okay, well, that's what I want in my life. So Paul refers to developing mindsets, renewing your mind as war. Now hear me, war is not easy. War is not pretty. How many veterans do we have in here? How many people that serve? Would you stand up for a moment? Just stand up. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All of you that served and were willing to risk your lives for this nation. You may be seated. Those of us that have served, we know war's not pretty. It's messy. But Paul said renewing your mind is war. That means you're going to have days when you know the word says this, but you want to go over here. And there's a battle. And it's moving right then. And you got to stand and take that hill for God's word. I'm not going to give this up to the enemy. He doesn't get me today. He's not going to take me out today. I'm going to be obedient to the word of God. See, no matter what you currently believe, even when we're changing our mindsets, I'm going to give you a clue to success. When you don't know what else to do, obey. Now, For every guy that stood in here earlier, I know what you were taught. When it came to an order, you just did it. You didn't question it, right? It's an order, you don't question it. Now, I'm not talking about illegal orders. I'm talking about a lawful order. And the reason you followed that is because if you didn't, either you or somebody close to you could die. And every one of these gentlemen that stood up know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got to follow that order. You may not understand it. You may not like it. And it may not make any sense to you whatsoever, but you follow it through obedience because that's what you're trained to do. Oh, that the body of Christ would follow the word of God, whether they understood it, whether they knew anything else, but they knew that if they didn't, either themselves or somebody else could die. Let me put this into financial terms. If we don't obey Our financial picture is in jeopardy, which could lead to our bankruptcy, both spiritually and physically. Not only that, but our lack of obedience may be the determining factor in somebody else's destiny and God because they didn't hear the gospel. Uh, I don't know about that dollar. No, no. You're talking about 20 families now. What does your obedience or disobedience do? But let me give you some good news. Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24, I'm not going to read it, but it says, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. He had just come out of a war. He defeated the kings. And he took the spoils. And he meets Melchizedek and he gives him a tenth of everything. He gives him a tithe of everything. But you know what's exciting about that? You go over to Hebrews chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 and it says that Levi tithed in Abraham. He wasn't born yet. He's three generations away. But God said because your great, great grandfather tithed, I'm counting it towards you. Do you know how many of you are here today because you had a great, great grandpa, great, great grandmother, somebody on their knees praying for you, believing for you, standing for you, and God said, I still know their prayers. You see, I'm the ancient of days. I'm the Alpha Omega, beginning and the end. I've not forgotten what they prayed over your life. Son, I know what they prayed over your life. Daughter, I know what they prayed over your life. And I'm going to honor their prayer. I'm going to keep reaching out to you until you get it. You might think, well, you know, it's only this much. The church doesn't need it. It's not about that. It's about your great-great-grandchildren now. It's about your heritage now. What are you withholding from them? There's not a one of us in here that wouldn't give anything to our children or grandchildren if it was within our ability to give. And don't say, oh, I don't want them spoiled. You will never, never, never spoil a child by giving them something. 
you will spoil them by not disciplining them with it. That's why God will give you everything, but he's going to discipline you in it. It's called the tithe. Okay, I said I wasn't going to talk about it, and there I did. But let's get rid of some of these myths about money. See, many people have a hard time because of their personal feelings. Self-loathing, unlovable, unvaluable. In my life, I made up for it by masking myself in a false shroud of confidence. The reality was I was a very insecure individual. I grew up in a family that saw, well, we put the fun in dysfunction. I remember my dad when I was five years old. Take that back, I was seven. Standing in the corner with a gun ready to blow somebody's brains out. I remember things that nobody would want to remember. I remember grabbing my little brother and going in a bedroom and praying because I didn't understand. So yeah, I can identify with a lot of that. I was insecure. In ministry, I was insecure. Why all of my peers had gone to Bible college I didn't I thought I was inferior I could never measure up I would never be good enough I mean listen I listened to them in awe of some of the things they learned I'm going I didn't learn that I was in the military I studied correspondence but I was determined to not let my insecurity stop me. So I went back to school. I got all the degrees. I got more degrees than a thermometer right now. <laughs> I was teaching at the university, the state university. And I was driving one day and I was driving by the community college and this fear rose in me, this anxiety that came up and it said, you need to get an education. I already had one. But you know what that said to me? What it said to me was this. It wasn't about the degrees. It was about my perception of myself. I thought I was worthless. I thought I didn't have the education. I felt like I was no good. I felt, I felt, I felt. And that really shook me to my core. Because I realized I could have easily taught at that institution. It's a community college. I was already teaching at the state university level. Then I realized it was a mindset I had that was rooted deep within me. And I had to renew my mind. By the way, I'm already in ministry. I'm already a pastor. At this point in time, I've been pastoring for about 10 years. And the guy that stood up every Sunday was so full of unbelief and fear and inadequacies. I was just trying to preach Jesus to the best of my ability. But I hadn't really dealt with my own issues yet. You see... Sometimes people look at others around them and they say, well, I'm better than that. I'm I'm better than this or I'm better than that. Or, oh, you know, when you start comparing yourself amongst yourselves, the Bible says it's not wise. There's only one comparison you should make and that's against the word. Am I lining up to what God said about me? Jeremiah 29, I know the plans. I know the plans. I know the plans I have for you. They're great. They're not disastrous. I want to prosper you. Do you hear the plans I have for you? 
but there's class warfare. And our pedigree, I want you to know your pedigree does not determine your destiny. Just get rid of that right now. Your pedigree does not determine your destiny. Your destiny was settled in Christ a long time ago. Here's some of the myths that we've built in our mind religiously about wealth. But I want to get rid of them. How many of you have ever heard, well, Christians shouldn't have money. They're just supposed to be poor. They're supposed to be just barely getting by. And if they got anything, well, that's not godly. Well, get rid of that. Let me tell you why. If riches and wealth were inherently evil, why is heaven replete with them? I mean, think about it. Revelation 21, 16 through 21. The city was laid out in a perfect square. He measured the city with measuring stick, 12,000 stadia, its length, width, height, and all equal. Using the standard measure, the angel measured the thickness of its wall, 144 cubits. 216 feet thick is a wall. And the wall was jasper. That you could see through the color of glory. And the city was pure gold, translucent as glass. The foundations of the city walls were garnished with every precious gem imaginable. The first foundation, jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Why did I take time to read that? The very next verse says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate a single pearl. That's a big pearl. That's a big oyster, but that's a big pearl. <laughs> and the main street of the city was pure gold, translucent as glass. Why did I read that? Because didn't Jesus teach us to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Why are we afraid of wealth? Don't be ashamed of it. God gives you something nice, rejoice. Let everybody rejoice with you. Why? Because he's no respecter of persons. Theirs is coming. Do what I do, you'll have what I have. Why? Because it's the word of God. He loves us. He wants us to have the best. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Remember God, because he's the one that gives you the power to get wealth. Why? That he might confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. When we see somebody driving a nice Bentley down the road, our first thought should not be, man, I bet that's a drug dealer. Come on now. That nice Mercedes, that nice whatever. No, that's a man of God. He honored God. Why? God's establishing his covenant. Listen, now don't, you've got to hear me. Don't think for one moment I'm up here preaching so I can get a bigger offering. You've got to hear me. It has nothing to do with that. Your pastor will tell you, I would walk out of here with absolutely nothing because that's the type guy I am. He knows me. My wife and I have made decisions and sacrifices and literally given everything away. So it's not about what we possess. It's not about what we could have. It's not about material things. It's never about the things. It's always about reaching people with the gospel. That's what it's about. And if it takes everything that I have to reach one more person, I will gladly give it. But I know this, that when I do, God gives more to me. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I want to point out something to you. Not only does God establish our covenant but Jesus was rich. Get rid of this idea of this poor manger baby. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, stop right there, no matter what follows, 
The apostle just said he was rich. What follows? That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Anything on planet earth is poor compared to heaven. I minister all over the world. I have been in huts where the smoke is all that's in the hut. <laughs> I've slept on the ground. I've slept with bugs. I've, I've been in places. The first place I went in India was a really cheap hotel with, with a bloody handprint on the wall slid down where somebody just been murdered and they didn't bother to clean it up. So listen, that's not what people would consider prosperity, right? But if they looked at me, they would think differently. Going to those countries, I became poor. I didn't have what I had at home. I didn't have those things. But it didn't mean they weren't mine. Does that make sense? I went to preach in Alaska and my luggage didn't arrive. So I got up on the platform and I'm in jeans. I probably will be tonight. But I was in jeans and, and a t-shirt is all I had and some beat up tenny runners and I'm the guest speaker. And I'm up there to speak and everybody could have looked at me and said, you know what, that guy, why do I want to listen to him? Right? Because we judge based on what we see. Jesus' message in Luke 4.18 was this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. The very first thing that Isaiah records in Isaiah 61 is to proclaim good news to the poor. What's good news to the poor? You don't got to be poor no more. That's good news. You see, it's the great exchange. It's what we call redemption. Redeem means to buy back. God bought back for us through the blood of Jesus everything that was lost in the garden through sin. He bought it back. How much sickness was in the garden prior to sin? None. How much poverty was there? None. How many worries did they have? None. They walked with God daily, physically, walked with him. See, it's beauty for ashes. It's joy for mourning. It's healing for sickness, prosperity for poverty. You get the idea, right? Jesus called it an abundant life. John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. I've had people say, why do you put so many scriptures in your sermons? Because that's the truth. My opinion doesn't amount to anything. <laughs> Sorry, I had a really bad friend's flashback. It's a moo point. <laughs> Some of you got it. No, it's the word that makes the difference. See, you might have been able to put Jesus in a stable, but you could never put the stable in Jesus. Kingdom wealth starts on the inside, not on the outside. How do we know? Look at a lottery winner. Their wealth started on the outside, and within a few years, they've lost it all. Why? They didn't have the capacity on the inside to deal with wealth. Think about Jesus as a child. When people think he was poor, why did they go to Bethlehem for a census so they could pay taxes? You don't pay tax if you don't have anything. Not only that, but early on in his childhood, he gets visited by kings that bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is no poverty child. 
Do you think he knows how to get us out? Absolutely. Do you realize that the first miracle Jesus ever did was a miracle of abundance? Why don't we think about, what did he do? His mama comes and says, listen, we're here at the wine, or <laughs> here at the wine. <laughs> Sorry, I had a glass earlier. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> we're here at the wedding. We're here at the wedding. And they've run out of wine. And she brings all the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And Jesus is like, huh? What's wrong with you, woman? My time's not yet. But they bring a bunch of jugs full of water and Jesus says, wine. A miracle of abundance. And it was the best. The steward said, why did you save the best for last? Normally you serve the best up front so they can get drunk and they don't realize the taste of the rest of it. That's the Lonnie Bingle translation. <laughs> no. He saved the best because it was just made. And you can't just make the best wine instantly. But Jesus could. You might think, well, you can't change my financial picture like that. God can. God can. You don't believe me? Luke chapter 5. He's calling his disciples. He's walking on the shore. People are following. He's preaching. What happens? He sees Peter, James, and John. He says, guys, I'm getting in your boat. I'm going to go preach a message. He went out and he preached a message. He comes back in. He says, I'll go out there for a catch of fish. Why? They gave something to him? Jesus is going to give something back. Go out there. And they said, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We're professionals. We know how to fish. And he says, okay, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Because eight feet makes a difference. And what do they say? Nevertheless, at your word, I'll obey. I don't understand, but I'll obey. And they brought in so many fish, they had to call to their partners in the other ships so they could bring in all the fish. And Peter falls on his knees and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Hear me, there was one message preached that produced a financial miracle for Peter. It was instant. Never limit God based on what you think can happen because Peter didn't think there were fish out there that night. I don't know about anybody else, but I like this stuff. How about this? We quote the scripture when the one gentleman came and said, I want to follow you. And he goes, really? The son of man has no place to lay his head. And we translated that into meaning, I don't have a home. I'm homeless. No. Incorrect. Prove it to you from scripture. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Several days later, Jesus came back to Capernaum. The report went out that he was home. Many people gathered. There was no room left, even in the front of the door. He didn't just come to his hometown. He came home. There's no room at the door. He's preaching, and they can't get into his house. He has beachfront property in Capernaum. Nobody is thinking about it. They just came. Jesus is here. We're going to go bug him. And in the midst of him preaching, a man is lowered through the roof. You know, when I was young, I used to think, wow, if I was the owner of that house, I'd be ticked. <laughs> Rip my roof apart so this dude on a cot can come down. That doesn't make any sense. 
all the dust and everything in my house and my furniture's messed up and this guy's coming down. And then it dawned on me, wait a minute. It's Jesus' house. He never put things above people. And he's a carpenter. He can fix it. <laughs> and money's no object. <laughs> wow. I could go through every disciple if you wanted me to. But let me just give you a biblical principle for the calling of the disciples. It's found in Luke 16, 11 through 13. If then you've not been faithful with unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with two riches? What was Jesus trusting them with? True riches. That means that they had to be faithful in unrighteous wealth. And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you your own? Hmm. This is for some of you in ministry. Serve in the house of God before you try to be the house of God. I can do it better than Pastor Jeff. He just doesn't know what he's doing. I hear God. I've got an anointing. I'm going to start my own church. I'm... God won't be there. Why? Because he said he won't. If you can't be faithful with that which belongs to another, who's going to trust you with something on your own? No domestic slave is able to serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You are not able to serve God and money. Right back here. You want a good, healthy financial life? You need to start right here because you can't serve both. One's a tool, one is a lifestyle. Think of the disciples. They were men who were able to leave their businesses and follow Jesus for three and a half years and never worry about money. And of all the offices Jesus ever appointed, it was a treasurer. You don't want to appoint a treasurer if you don't have anything. And the Bible says that Judas was a thief from the beginning. For three and a half years, he embezzled from Jesus Christ Ministries, and nobody knew it. If I reached into your pocket today, you would know it. You would know exactly how much is there. You would know exactly what's going on. And if I took a dollar, you would know it was missing. But for three and a half years, he was able to embezzle from the Jesus Christ Ministry Corporation and nobody knew it. So much more I could give you there, but I need to move on and wrap this up. We each determine what we will believe. I personally have put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. That's my foundation. I've made that choice. I must also go all the way and believe that what Jesus said is true. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, I choose to embrace him as truth and his word as a guiding light to my steps. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. There's one thing about that verse. When you see it, it's a light to my path. Lights are bright, but the lamp, not so much. And it's a lamp to our feet. That next step sometimes is tough because we see way down there what I could be. But you got to take that lamp step. How many of us need a light on our finances in here this morning? so that we're no longer working in the dark. Might I suggest that we get God's wisdom and his word so we can enlist the resources of heaven to meet the needs of others. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you the very best, but he also needs to know you're trustworthy and faithful and know who you are in him. Otherwise, if he were to lavish upon us wealth without the firm foundation, it would destroy us. And a good father will never destroy his kids. I pray that I'm always faithful with what he puts into our hands. 
so that he'll never look and say, I really blew it when I picked you. Does that make sense?